Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello everybody, welcome to Changes. It is Annie McManus here, as always, but this episode of Changes is going to be very different from anything that you've heard before. This week, we are turning the tables and your guest is me. I've never been interviewed on Changes before. My second novel is out this week. It's called The Mess We're In. And I thought this week would be a very good time to talk about my changes because that book is so laced into my own life experience and change. The book is about many things, but one of the biggest things is about the sense of being Irish in England. So my interviewer today is Irish through and through, a fellow Dubliner who currently lives in London, when she's not gallivanting around the world touring, that is. It is one of Ireland's best, a former guest on Changes, the hugely successful comedian and co-host of the podcast My Therapist Ghosted Me. It is Joanne McNally. Joanne, hello. Annie, hello. <laughs> She's got her notebook. Got my notebook. I'm She's like, all pro. I've, I was saying, I've never interviewed anyone before. This is my big break. This is not about you, Annie. <laughs> well, listen, thank you. I might cut you out of this completely. I'm honoured because you are the busiest woman in the world. You've been touring the world. Not every time I look at you, you're in Kenya, you're in Australia, you're in New Zealand, you're New York, everywhere. Well, you're interviewing me. That's not how it works. I know, sorry. But just thanks. You, yeah, you t- That's obviously. what I'm saying. But oh, this is what I was going to say to you without sounding like a wanker. Okay. I am so glad that I met you. Oh, really? Well, yeah. we've only met today for the first I time, know. but on Zoom, you mean? On Zoom. Yeah. So, because I obviously know the name Annie Mac right. grown up for yeah. years. Yeah. But you were just on Planet Fame. I didn't know anything about you, really. I didn't know the detail. I just knew you were a yeah. world DJ. Yeah. And then when I met you, I liked you so much. Obviously, then I read your book mm-hmm. and, as you know, was sending you voice notes about it yeah. regularly like just adored it and so then I started listening to podcasts where you're talking about yourself right. and I'm not going to use the term inspiring because I'd be mortified to do it but I need another word but you know why you feel very similar to me but you're maybe like a couple of years mm. ahead of mm. in your journey yes. as they say yes yeah and you're spinning things and changing things and you're moving from one big job and then you're kind of spinning all around you're like I'm not happy there anymore and you're doing something else and you're talking about being in your 40s and how women aren't served in their 40s their Mm -hmm. tastes aren't taken into consideration all this stuff and I was like this just feels just very I don't know I find you reassuring okay good that's great I find you reassuring it sounds like we've got loads to talk about we've got loads to talk about so this is what I wanted to ask you okay where did this change come from being a DJ Mm -hmm. to being a writer Mm-hmm. Where was that always the plan? No. What, that's a wild pivot. It's such a pivot. Yeah. It's quite a dramatic pivot. But it all started when I was 40 years old and having what I think could have been some sort of a crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> it all got too much. 
I basically, as an act of quiet rebellion against all the things I should have been doing and all of the people around me telling me what I should do and how I have to progress and what we have to do to get this amount of tickets sold and this, multiplied by a million. I was like, I'm just going to do something for me. Yeah. And I want to go on a writing course because I remember vaguely in the recesses of my mind that I used to love writing. Yeah. And I just want to see if that's still the case. So I went on a writing course when I was 40 and... Um, wow, was it like a full time thing? Were you like, was it kind of a Monday to Friday thing? Did you or how it was, did it work? It was it was six months long, yeah. and you had to check in with a teacher every three weeks. It was one on one. I wasn't doing any of that sitting in a group reading my okay. writing. I wasn't ready for that, so I checked in with a teacher once every three weeks. I met her, and I was like the the mature student in the university. Like I was so eager to yeah. learn and so excited about learning something new. And so vulnerable, but challenged. And the teacher was amazing. She was so sound and really straight talking and really clever and smart. And I just thought she was the best thing in the world. It felt really illicit because it was just me. No one knew what I was doing. It was just me and my time. I was squirreling away minutes here and there in the back of taxis and getting up in the morning to write. And then it was just like, oh, my God, there's another world starting, which is Mother Mother. And I just want to be in it all the time. And... I don't know, it just felt so exciting and so different and also weirdly familiar, like yeah. coming home. Like weirdly like, oh my God, this what is... What an amazing feeling. This feels, this feels so good. And I knew upon finishing the writing course that I wanted to try and make a book out of what I'd done there. And then, yeah, that led to me realising that I wanted to give more time in my life to writing. So that was the first book? That was the first book. That was Mother Mother. Mother. Yeah, which came out in 2021. And you say that that wasn't the memoir, that this is the memoir. Yeah, I mean, I can't call it a memoir because there's so many sex and drugs in this book. Because <laughs> most of it's illegal. It's definitely not a memoir. Like, it genuinely isn't. And But it is based on, like, themes and things that I've been through. So not it's not my story by any chance, but it's things that I recognise. Yeah. And, and themes that I'm very familiar with. And the fun of writing fiction is that you, you know, you can embellish everything that you've ever had or gone through. Or, yeah. You know, so everything's exaggerated and way more crazy than anything I did in my life. And Orla is really not me. Like she's, I'm, I'm more, she not no, I'm more sensible than her, Joanne. I'm so much more sensible than her. I'm not, I don't think I was. Because I really related to, I really related to Orla. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I was, she's, a, she's she, amazing. When I was at her stage, yeah. where yeah. it was just party, party, mm. very low sense of low, very yeah. little self-care absolute mess it fizz, even like no one wants to share a bedroom that kind of stuff I was like yeah. I, fe- I feel you that you feel her you feel her well yeah so like the story is Orla coming to London from uh, doing a postgraduate course in Cheltenham which she hates because she kind of had all these big designs over what England was supposed to be and then she went to Cheltenham and she was like well bored mm. and then she arrives in London and she's living with her best friend and her best friend's band and it's like a year in the life of her in this house and working in an Irish bar mm. so what was cool was like I knew I wanted to try and fictionalise these couple of years in my life that were really formative and really mad which is when I moved to London and moved in with my brother's band but also on top of that I had 20 years in London and 20 years of feelings about being in London that I wanted to kind of put into it so there's a lot more a lot more came upon writing this mess we're in uh, uh, that I wasn't expecting which is the best thing about writing fiction it's like you have to like be open and you have to allow things to come in and out it has to be kind of an amorphous form I've never really known what I'm going to write a bar like some very loose ideas and you just kind of open yourself up to it and it's yeah. the maddest feeling because you write like madly for two or three hours when you have the luxury of time to do that and then you come away and you come back the next day and you're like whoa 
whoa, I didn't know that I felt like that, but yeah. fuck, I did feel like that. Wow. Yeah. So there's loads in this book about being Irish in England and a sense of identity and not really knowing about how Irish I am and how Irish I should be and feeling like a foreigner in London, but also feeling like a foreigner when you go home, which is a very common thing, I think, with people who who are part of the diaspora, any diaspora. I uh, liked the dedication at the start of the book. Did you? Tier two. I assume that's your two boys. Yeah. Yeah. Two kids, two boys. Yeah, yeah two they're like, boys. just remember you're half Irish. <laughs> it's like, it's, it almost sounds threatening. <laughs> but that is, that, that is that's how it's town. told at home. It's like, remember, <laughs> getting dragged down to the Irish bar. It's, it's kind of hard to believe this is your second book. Like, it's so well written. Oh, thanks, babe. It really, that means genuine, the world. I swear to God, I just, I just thought it was so beautifully written. Oh. I thought I could read a whole book or watch a whole show about the Irish bar. Everyone says that. Yeah. Everyone's like, I love the Irish bar. The Irish bar I was should have almost, written a book about the, the Irish it, bar. It was almost like, not a separate story, but it was a separate story. It lived, it was on its, uh, it was own little entity yeah. that was just gorgeous to read about. It's like, these characters would go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. So the Irish bar is what happened during the writing of the book. I had no intention of writing beyond Orla's experiences in the house with the band, trying to make it in music, which she wants to be a music producer. But she needs to make money, so she gets this job in an Irish bar in Kilburn High Road. And that was, they were weirdly, those and the chapters where she goes home to Dublin to see her family mm. were the bits that came the easiest. And I, my experience of writing is that the easier things arrive, the more naturally and the more they will flow, you know, to read. And it, it really felt like that. It was just so fun to write those. Do you mind me asking, it, it, sure. did your parents separate? No. No, no, my family, this is not a, like my family are nothing, nothing. Because those scenes with your dad in the book felt so like yeah. you'd lived that. Yeah, no. It was like they were very emotional. No, I hadn't. I hadn't at all. And I really wanted to make a point of making the family so different from my family setup, so that no one could read it and be yeah. like, oh, no, she's, you know, it just wanted for everyone's sake to be like, no, this is definitely not autobiographical. But it was really interesting to try and write that, a kind of family split in half. And also Orla being the oldest and being not emotionally really able to deal. Like, yeah. I think Orla has ADHD. She, would, she wouldn't have known that in 2001. Yeah. But now she would definitely be diagnosed with that. And there's, I guess, there's regulatory issues with her in terms of being able to hold down her emotions. She feels things so deeply. Yeah. And she, she's overwhelmed by her emotions. And, and I think the combination of that, living away from home, being so... Herculean about her hedonism like she's just mad for it like mm. she just doesn't know when to stop means that she just hasn't allowed herself to accept that her mum and dad are not together Yeah, and obviously she goes home and it all it all well she she has to confront it that's hard for anyone at any age though but also right. I think the I think the hedonism comes from I remember when I was in my early 20s and the reality of, even when I went to Australia for the year like I know I didn't yeah. move to London until I was 30. Five, I think. Right. But um, when there's a bottle of wine in the fridge, you're like, hold on, I can drink all of that. There's no one here to tap. Like, there's, it's totally. like there's no rules. But you're still kind of immature. Like, you're, I was, especially you would have been more mature because you went, you moved out of home quite early. <laughs> Let's it, ask you the question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Let's get some structure to this. So, Annie Mac. Yeah. Annie McManus is your name yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. What was the biggest change of your childhood? Okay, so I wouldn't call this strict. This is the very tail end of my childhood. Mm. Okay, so I was seventeen. So we're really pushing it here, but it's it's the it, it genuinely was the biggest change because 
I had just kind of gone through school. I was pretty all right in school. I got involved in everything. I was in the choir. I was on the hockey team. I loved all that. Got really involved in school, but never really had like a, I never was like, I know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and I got to the last year and I got picked to play Peggy and Mike in um, Playboy the Western World in the play. And I've never done acting before, <laughs> but I thought I really wanted to act. Got, played the, got to play the lead part and, part and loved it. Yeah. My boyfriend's dad at the time told me that he reminded me, I reminded him of Doris Day and I was like, oh, oh wow. okay, yeah. well maybe this is something I Here can we do. Go. I got really excited, started practicing my speeches in the mirror when I won the Oscar, <laughs> all of that. And then um, I applied for drama in Trinity, which is, you know, if you're from Dublin, you know, that's the kind of holy grail of universities. Yeah. If you're not from Dublin, it's a university of normal people. And it is the, oh, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's it's like the big, prestigious place yeah. that you would go so I didn't get in right and I, it, it just ruined me I was I was really like set on doing that and when I didn't get in I was really stuck and I came home to my mum and I borrowed 20 quid off her and I went down to the hairdressers in Dundrum Peter Marks and said cut my entire ponytail off my hair was down to my arse cut it all off it was like the self-flagellation wow. situation. It's like, I hate myself. I can't, you know, so such a drama queen in yeah. retrospect, but not dramatic enough to get into the course. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I cut it off and then um, gave it to my mum who cried, genuinely cried real tears. She was did not want to receive a ponytail in the plastic bag. And then um, after I kind of calmed down a bit, I felt, you know, I, there was there was a scene when I walked up the classroom block steps in the school that I went to. And I'll never forget it because it was like, have you ever seen Game of Thrones when the queen has to shave her head and walk yeah, through the town naked? Yeah. It was a bit like like a teenage over-dramatised version of that. So I was in my uniform, but I'd shaved my head. Yeah. And I'd only ever had really long curly hair down to my bum. It was a big deal when you're yeah, 17. Of course. And I walked up the steps and I remember everybody like nudging and pointing and staring and I remember being like fuck you so you know just just so like angry at the world and kind of I don't know I don't know what it was I was so stuck I was so stuck and my mum actually who in retrospect the more I think about my mum like she's she's very calm she's very un, like she's unassuming in the room in terms of her energy she just kind of she never takes up space in a room but she's very smart mm. and she's quite wise and um quite calm and she came to me and was like why don't you try and go to Queen's University in Belfast which is where she went and you could do English literature there so the two of us went up on the Enterprise remember that that was I a train indeed. went to Belfast and I, I, I got into clearing in, in, in Queen's University and like started two weeks later and found myself like in Hull sharing a room with some random girl who ended up being my best friend at 17 at seven, well, just 18. turned eighteen. Yeah. yeah, so young. So, so, so it was like it was really interesting because the entire course of my life that I had fully planned out had kind of it was a huge pivot. It was a big screeching left hand turn. It yeah. was like, oh, suddenly I'm not in Dublin where I thought I was going to be. Suddenly I'm in a diff. I'm in a different Ireland. I'm in the island of Ireland, but it's no Ireland that I know. I feel very isolated being a southerner. There's no southerners there. Okay. Um, and uh, I didn't know anyone. And, it, and but after a few months, I realized it was actually kind of cool because I had to, well, I just could be whoever I wanted to be. Mm. I think as well, when you're that age and you don't really know what you want to do and then you get a sniff that you might be good at something 
Yeah. And you kind of put all your... You latch on to yeah, it, don't you? Do. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You latch like, on to this it. This is me. This Be- is what I'm going to do. Yeah, because I think in school, you're really given this um, idea that you have to have it all planned out. Like, yeah. I don't remember anyone saying to me, you'll probably change your mind a lot and just do what you feel. And, you know, what, you know, it's very much There's like, none of that. what are you going to study in yeah. university? And it, like, it's so defined. I know. And so you're desperate to have something that defines you. Yeah. You know? And so acting was that. And then it, suddenly it was like, it wasn't. But what it meant was that suddenly there was no pressure on me and I could just, I knew I liked English. I knew I'd always liked writing. I'd never considered it for a career and still didn't in university. It was just something fun to do. Yeah. But I just, you know, discovered clubbing and raving and that kind of consumed everything. But you obviously always had a talent for writing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you maybe. Just, yeah. yeah, of course. You obviously have. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, for some reason, it had never occurred to me that that could have been a, a career choice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. It's like a little baby Annie up in Belfast at 18. Oh, God, you'll see the pictures. But I think because I do feel like you've lived a a million lives in a short space of time. Yeah. But I think when you start young, like at 18, like there's a lot of people in Dublin, because I went to college in Dublin, because you could go to university in Dublin, you stayed at home. You didn't move out of home. Yes. So when you're 18 in Hall, suddenly you're meeting new people. Yeah. You're getting kind of influenced by all these new different people, different cultures, all that stuff. Like it's, and then it obviously led you here. Yes, it led me here. Yeah, it did. So what happened then when you got to London? How did you go from reading English to being a DJ? Mm. So uh, that's a pretty long story. Like I don't. I did, so in the final year of Queens, I was literally still, still trying to do what I was doing in school, which is find something to latch onto, like a career. And it was just this really basic thing of like, okay, I know I love socialising, I love going out, I love music. Put those together, what you get, you get music radio. I yeah. become obsessed with listening to Radio One, which I hadn't heard in Dublin. Obsessed with Marianne Hobbs, John Peel. So I knew I had a thing. I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and get into radio. I'm going to move to England. I'm going to seek my fortune and I'm going to do that. So I wasn't able to be brave enough just to land in London without doing something else. And I didn't really want to get a job yet. So I went to England, uh, to this place called Farnborough as a stepping stone to get to London. And that was my little year of learning about radio. And then I did that course and then I moved to London and I moved in with my brother's band. So my brother was in a band and this is where all the band stuff in the mess we're in is kind of inspired by. Again, it's not the same band. I'd work really hard to make sure that it's very different (laughs) than the real band. But it was me, not with my best friend, me alone in a house of four guys who who were a rock band, signed rock band, touring rock band. Big shabby house in Forest Gate, mice-ridden house, of which I spent a lot of time in on my own because they would go off on tour for four to six weeks and I'd be there on my own. And they'd come back and the whole hall and landing would be painted lilac because I would have been that bored. I would, bored. I would just be like, I'm just going to paint. I'm just going to paint the halls. London's a hard, it's a hard one to get your teeth into when you first come over. Yes. Is it London you were in the yeah. house of the lads? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough. You're like, oh my God. Like, if you don't have a system set up for yourself, yeah, yeah, you're quite at sea. I really felt that. Like, luckily with my brother's band, like, I felt like I could just kind of fit into the slipstream of them. So I just went out where they went out. I went to their gigs. I got to know all the people in their little world, their circle. And I was really lucky. But when I moved out from them, I moved in with my with my friend. And that was when it all got crazy because you'd be living somewhere for eight months and then somewhere else and then somewhere else. And you'd be moving in with different people and doing three jobs at once at some points mm-hmm. and so skint so skint no money and spending all your money on fags and booze and so unhealthy I'd like look back at it and I'm just like I don't I see pictures of myself I don't recognise me I'm just like look at you you're so 
so deeply um, unhealthy. <laughs> Physically, mentally, all of it. Just, yeah. like, not just like, oh my God. And But there was a point where I did, you know, they say you like to reach the end of your tether. Like I got to that point where I was doing three jobs, trying to bust my ass in any radio job I could and skint and uh, just pudgy and sad. Mm. And it was at that point that I literally said to myself, I think I'm going to have to like just go home or or just get a proper job or something. Yeah. I can't keep trying to do this. How long were you, when you say you were trying, how many years were you trying? Two. Two, but that's nothing. I know. I was so lucky. Yeah. Yeah, it was only two years. Yeah, there's people hammer, hammering away at stuff for 20 years yeah. trying to break into things. Yeah, I know. You're right. I was so, so lucky. And it was luck. Like, so much of it was luck and timing. Like, it was luck, timing and kind of working for people who then rooted for me and helped me. Yeah. It was that. It was but you also had done your training and you, like, you didn't just go in... Yeah. Assuming you'd get a job and right. Like you had done your training and you'd done done your course. course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that really helped actually. And um, yeah. And then Radio One allowed me to come in and do some work experience when someone wasn't there. And then that turned into two weeks actual work, which turned into a full time contract, which turned into two years of working behind the scenes. And then I got the job doing my own show as a DJ. So I was 26 when I got my show. So when you were working behind the scenes, did you feel you were being groomed for a show or did you think you were just going to stay behind the scenes or what did you think was the plan? I thought I definitely wasn't being groomed. Like it wasn't a done thing to go from being an assistant producer to being a DJ. Yeah. It wasn't a a done path. But again, I was really lucky and um, they gave me a chance. I do believe, I believe in luck as well, but Mm. I think you have to have the ability yeah. It's both. It's both. Bit of exactly. luck, bit of timing. Yeah. Ability. Yeah, exactly. All three. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have your own show then. Mm. Things got mad then. I remember going to get... my first photo shoot and like I was so innocent. I didn't know what I was doing. I remember going to my first photo shoot and you know when you go to a photo shoot and there's always loads of people there. And, yeah, and they always somewhere. have a lot of opinions and, and they're all like they look at the they look at the camera after the shots are taken and I remember someone being like, Maybe we could just like whiten out the freckles a bit. Yeah. I remember being like, Oh god, they don't like the freckles. Maybe the freckles no, aren't good. Oh, god. They wouldn't oh. get away with that now. I can oh my tell god, you. they really wouldn't. They wouldn't get away with that now. Yeah, but they I, I <laughs> like got them up in court. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? But it's 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 funny because you're I think obviously your intent was to be a DJ and to kind of interview and chat to people. But what you all also became was like a celebrity. Yeah. Which probably happened quite that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because radio is really, is really mad because being a radio celebrity is different than a TV celebrity because people know your voice. Yeah, and they also they're really familiar with you because you're in their kitchens. It's so every intimate. Day. Yeah, it's so intimate. So they come up and they're like they hug you and it's like oh my god, it's you. You know, yeah. I know you so well. So that's mad. But also, I, it's not as intense. Like I, I've always been able to live really happily in London, do my thing, get the tube. I've never had to compromise how I live. Okay, whatsoever. Because of my job or my profile, if yeah. you call it that. But I also haven't courted it that much. Well, and also when you were coming up, there wasn't the same, like now, every, you know yourself, any radio show you do, any um, podcast you do, we film everything now. Yes. Whereas you probably had a level yeah. of facial anonymity. Yeah, I mean, Maybe? the, the, the I joke know. was when I started Radio 1, one of my really good friends, Rachel Barton, who worked on the show, she came. She used to come with me because she was a DJ too. So we DJ together. She'd warm up for me. Oh. And the joke was, you, you know, you'd go to Liverpool and people would be like, are you Annie Mach to her? Because they didn't know what I looked like because yeah. they only knew what I sounded like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, that kind of shows the, the times. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. They just knew your voice. Yeah. So I was lucky. And I was also lucky, Joanne, to be one of the last generation of people to grow up without a bloody mobile phone. I got my mobile when I was 19. 
And then I didn't get a smartphone until probably well into my 20s. Which means there's not probably not a lot of scaldy photos of you out Thank there. God. As in, you know, when you're out clubbing and you're I'd sweating and you look like shit. Dread to think. Yeah. It was weird when that whole thing started because clubs would just have photographers come in and take all these photos and put them up online. No one, it was there was no, no one needed your consent. Yeah, and you just be clicking through these photos. Of, yeah. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> I don't even remember being in that club. Like what? Like, again, they couldn't get away with it now. No, they couldn't. At the time when you didn't get your acting course, course. yeah, and you're like, my life is over. Mm. I'm cutting off my ponytail. It's a real yeah. Schneider Connor cutting up the Pope moment and Layla. You're like, I'm making a protest. Yeah. It all just worked out so beautifully. I mean, it, it was a really weird left turn, but then it did kind of work out. And I always wonder, like, you know, what would have happened if I'd stayed in acting? I know I would have ended up in Dublin for longer. I mightn't have left home. Yeah. Um, if I'd got that course. But I probably would have, because everyone did. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're suddenly Annie Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. So huge, big change in your life. You're working all the time. All the time. You're out and I beat that. You're now mm. a celebrity DJ. Am I allowed to call you a celebrity DJ? Or yeah, I, su- I suppose, yeah. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. are you enjoying especially, it? Especially because woman and not very many of them. So there's there was definitely a sense of interest and curiosity about me because of that. Yeah. Am I enjoying it? Yes. Yeah, you're having I a ball. I am loving my life. I'm loving the travel. I'm loving the adventure. I'm touring America on my own, landing and just hoping the promoter's going to show up, going to 10-day tours on my own. So what was the shift then? What was the biggest change in your adulthood? So, 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 so then I had kids, which is mad kids, because yeah. uh, because I had never known anyone to be a DJ and a mum. Mm. I still don't know that many people who are touring DJs who are also parents. Actually, that's a lie. All the men are, but the women I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's a sad truth. Um, so I was just kind of like trying it out. And I was really determined to not let my kid stop me from doing my job. Yeah, I loved my job. I was ambitious. I wanted to keep growing what I was doing, blah, 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 blah. I just launched a festival in Malta. Everything was going really well. And my kid came along and... um, (laughs) The way you're like, he came along, like he just arrived. So inconsiderate of him. Um, He arrived. No, yeah, so it was was grand. Like, I think the first time I had my first kid, I did carry on. What age were you when you had your first kid? 34. My husband was 28. Okay. He's six years younger than me, sometimes seven. I prefer when he's six. (laughs) 
He was also a DJ and was a music producer, still is, both yeah. of those things. More music producing now. But so he he and I lived chaotic lives, mm. like mad. We had a mad time and it was amazing. But both of us were so all over the gaff. And um the idea of us having to like even just being pregnant was pretty crazy. Mm. Um and it's the first time in my whole life I'd never not drank. And it was really good for me in retrospect. I was really glad. I loved it. I loved being pregnant for that. But yeah, I think, you know, just touring and everything, it was hard. And I'm not trying to like do a sob story here because fucking people have hard lives. This is nowhere near what other people go through. But I guess you're just tired all the time and you're working really hard and you feel scared to say no to work. That's it, yeah. The nature of DJing as well is you have to say yes to a show six or eight months up front. Mm. So you're saying yes to these shows and you don't know what you're going to be like after the baby's born. Don't know if you're going to fucking, you just don't know anything. And I like control. I'm not comfortable not knowing things and kind of taking risks like that. So yeah, it was just a few chaotic years, but it was fine. And we got on with it and we took turns and we got a nanny and it was all grand. But then when the second one came around when I was 38, I realised after the first kind of year or two of, of him being around that I just didn't want to do it in the same way that I did my oldest one. Yeah. Like, I wasn't around for loads of my oldest one because I, I had this show on Radio 1, which was weekly, every night. And once he started school, when he was four, I just wasn't there for dinner or bedtime every night in the week. You know, you're and working I, nights as well. Yeah, and I'm DJing at the weekends. So it's just like, I'm missing this kid's, like, early life. And yeah. that's, I don't want to do that anymore. Plus, I have another one now. Um, when I announced that I was leaving Radio 1, I kind of really deliberated over whether to say about the kids being part of that reason, uh, that reason to leave, because I didn't want people to think that I was just like copping out of my career because of motherhood, which is really annoying. Like I should be allowed to do that. It's a choice. Feminism is, is that's what it's about. It's about having a choice. But I, something in me was like, oh, I don't want to make it about the kids. And I think I've fought so hard all my life to to not make it about the kids. Mm. And in a way, it was very liberating to go, actually, I have kids and I care about them and I want to be there for them. Yeah. Um, like, this is where I am now. This is where I this am This is what I want to do, yeah. Right. But also, it wasn't not working. It was just working in a different way. And that's what's been, I suppose, the biggest change of my adult life is the kids and um, and the writing course together, those two things helping me realise that there's other things I want to do. And all my life I've had these fucking blinkers on of like, grow, grow, more tickets, more sales, bigger games, uh, conferences, festivals, everything, radio shows, rage our figures, all of that. And then it was like, actually, none of that really matters to what I need in my heart yeah. now. And you've done it. You and know what I mean? It. You've done it. It's You know, yeah. you, you can take it. You're like, I've done that. Yeah. And now I want something different. Exactly. And also, like, it, it takes it out of you. Like, it does. Like, touring and travelling. I'm only doing it. I'm in my second yeah, year but doing babe, it you now. Do it, you do it so much more than I ever did. Because really? I, always, I always had to be back for radio. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, radio yeah, yeah. meant that I always had to be back in London. And, and when I had kids, I just couldn't I just couldn't tour like I did. Yeah. So I, I like my international DJ career stopped when I had kids, basically. Do you know what's so interesting? Because I heard you speak about that before. I have a fear because I kind of getting into the industry late, like I'm 40 next week. Yeah. And um, I am worried. Half of me wants to have a child and the other half is worried that if yeah. I have a child, I will lose out in opportunities. Mm. I will lose the kind of 
ambition that I have now because I can just be completely selfish now. Yeah. And I'm like, the child will hold me back. Yeah. And I won't be able to achieve what I want to achieve. And I was like, but what what am I looking to achieve? Like, there's only yeah. so many shows you can do. And, yeah. you know, ultimately you get to a stage where you're like, I kind of want something else in my life now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I get it. But you're like, the thing is, you're you're only 40 next week. Like, you could, you've still got a few years before you can oh, have a kid. Like, I'm going to have seven minutes now. I'm going to fucking... <laughs> Need a lot of men line them up one after the other. I know, I get it. Like, you, I get that why you'd be thinking about that now, and I also get that you've just started. Like, this it's is it. just the, the the wave is crest. Like, you're not even at the crest. I'm kind you're, of still on the climb. You're still on the climb, and you're climbing so quickly. And it's that thing of you're like, but also I know I feel very strongly down the line. Like I like what you're saying that there will come a time where you're like, this isn't enough for me anymore. Yes, I'm not fulfilled by this anymore. Yeah, you yeah. know. But I think the DJing's obviously still going and I just never thought I would like I always said by 40 I'll have stopped Yeah. and now I'm 45 in July and I'm still going and it's just but I guess that's changed in, in, in the same way that everything else has changed I've changed that to work yeah. for me but also when you're younger you kind of think 40 is an age that now it's just like there is no midlife oh my like, god it, there's no middle age now that that, no. that bracket no longer exists it just 40, doesn't 40 I, I feel like I feel so excited to be in my it, 40s yeah, I love I'm, I'm being in my 40s it. yeah it's, the, it's so empowering I thought that about my 30s it's even better in the 40s like you're so empowered you know exactly what you want Yeah. you know how to get it you're in a position of more comfortable than you were in your 20s when you're yeah. all over the place you're maybe a little bit more kind of secure I don't know you've got a more perspective on life and you stop giving a shit about the things you should do I suppose you really do mm. how long between oh maybe I don't want to work in radio anymore and you saying I'm no longer working radio how long mm. did that take I'd say all in it would probably be about a couple of years mm. Yeah. So you were just putting your little other structures in place exactly. so that you'd have something interesting was, and exciting yeah. to move on to. It was by no means reckless. Yeah. Put it that way. I was like, I'm going to see if I enjoy writing. I'm going to write a bit. I'm going to see if a book could be viable to be published. Then, after the book was out, then I left. Yeah. Because then you're like, oh, hold on. No, this is actually going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> I can yeah, do yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to do it. Like, I, yeah. I've spent enough hours doing it to know that I want to do more, you know. You're very smart. You see, you plan ahead. Well, it was kind of practical, I suppose. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But like, it's also like I've got a mortgage to pay and a family to keep. It's like I can't just walk out because fiction, you know, it's mad how little money fiction makes. Yeah, but you know what, though? The mess we're in would be a great film. Yes, or a series or something. I would love yeah, that. That's, I, it, that's a dream. That's how it read to me, for sure. Yeah, I'd love that. You could just feel, you'd be like, this would look great on screen. And that's something I really want to do, and I'm trying at the moment to <laughs> claw out more space for, is do another course, a screenwriting course. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Yeah. I love the idea of, and I know you're big into this as well, just kind of learning all the time and making sure that you're kind of, if you have the time, I know not everyone has the time, to change your skill set, upskill, learn something new. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. And I think in a way, when I started that writing course at 40, I, I had such a big reaction to that because I realised I hadn't learned anything new in years. Mm. I'd been doing the same thing, which was great and um, fulfilling and brilliant. But I, I that part of my brain, the learning part, had been dormant yeah. and it was so, it felt so good. And then after that, I was just like, I just want to change everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I went a bit mad and changed a lot of how I work and structures and everything. Um, but even now, I'm still cr like craving it. And I'm learning Irish again, Joanne. Are you? Yeah, I know. I'm obsessed with Ireland at the moment. I'm learning Irish on Duolingo. 
this is not an ad for Duolingo, but it is. <laughs> but it is amazing. It's is a free it... app to learn languages. It's what? amazing. You should do it on the road. I only I, the only language thing. I just remember Rosetta Stone. Do you remember Rosetta Stone? No. Do you not remember? Oh God, I remember my mom trying to learn Spanish in the eighties on Rosetta Stone, and they'd just be pressing tapes all day. But I, oh, yeah. so I do like. I like. I'd be similar. Now, I think it's when you're in a nice position that you do have a lot of free time. Yeah. So when I'm, because there's travel involved in my job as there was travel involved in your job. So you yeah. do get the heads, plus I don't have kids. So I do have a lot more headspace yeah. to be like, well, what else would I like to do? Yeah. But I just love the idea that you can have a renaissance, a couple of them in your life. Listen. And just change and I'm be like, maybe. I'm mad for it. Yeah. So Prue Leith came on this podcast, Changes. Yeah. And her motto in life is that every 20 years in your life, you should have a revolution. Obsessed. I think I find you can get kind of stuck in a bit of a rush and you're yes. like, this is what I do now. I am a DJ. Or I yeah. am a comedian. comedian. I yeah. am a teacher. Mm. I am a nurse. That's what I am. Yeah. I'm like, well, hold on. There's there's more to me. Yes. I could probably try something else at some stage. Exactly. I think that's really important and really good for your well-being and also for growing older. Because as you grow older, you want to keep your brain ticking and yeah. learning. You want to feel energised. It keeps you feeling young. All of those things. It's really healthy. So, oh, hold on. No, what was your biggest change in adulthood? We didn't, you did, did you answer so, that? Yeah, I'd say the biggest change in adulthood was leaving Radio 1. And That's kind of scary. Like stepping off the, the edge of the really safe, secure BBC job, the profile. I suppose there was an element of power within the music industry, the status, all of that. And just being like, no, I'm just going to go and work on my podcast and try and write books. And it was so liberating. There was many things about it that I hadn't thought. One was I'd never not had a boss before in my whole life. I've always had a boss from when I was 17 and working in whatever, pubs and sandwich shops yeah. and whatever. And for the first time in my life, I was just working for myself. And what else it afforded me was this idea of not having to be in London. Like for the first time, I wasn't tied to London. I could work. Obviously, I had my gigs. But apart from that, I could write remotely. I could podcast remotely. So I got all giddy and was like, God, I'm going to move to Ireland. I'm going to move. We're going to, I don't know, go to Costa Rica for a year. All this yeah. stuff. I haven't done, <laughs> haven't done any of it. Yeah, but just all the same fantasies. The yeah. giddiness of that was quite, that was quite liberating. Um, and then I suppose just, yeah, just being able to set my own agenda. And, that, you know, at radio, you know, everyone's very well-meaning, but the BBC has a high turnover of bosses and everyone comes in and they have their own agendas. Yeah. And just to be free of that was really nice, you know. Well, now, this is a kind of a technical question and I know I'm just kind of fascinated because I usually will try and work with a director or someone who will be like, Jamal, where's the new show or where is that yeah. joke that you said you're going to write this week? And so how did you find the your discipline then yeah. to get into this, this, the kind of the process of writing? Yeah, yeah. Two books. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So, Well, the first one was written while while I was trying to do everything, which is why I had a breakdown. I had to leave Radio 1, pretty much. The <laughs> second one was written post-Radio 1, so that was really interesting. That yeah, was like all the time. I had time, I had space, and it did take a bit of getting used to. Mm. Like, I realised that I am an extrovert, and I think a lot of writers are introverts, and they're happy on the edges of things, and they're happy observing, as opposed to actually being in the middle of things. And I'm so used to being in the middle of things. like in, in radio, you're literally in the middle of a conversation. You are a conduit for so many people. You are It is the, like the essence of connection, being a radio DJ. You're yeah. connecting people. Um, so to go from that to literally rattling around the house on my own all day was a big 
change and it wasn't necessarily something that came easy and still isn't easy so what I've had to learn is that when I'm not writing when I'm not in the flow state of like being in a story and just loving writing there's lots of bits and periods in between that where you're just editing or doing really boring fact checking and research and all of that that involves discipline and I find if I as in my days if I I need to put stuff in I need to put people in I need to put yeah or else I'll go mad basically I need to see people um so I have to put lunches in or walks in or coffees in because if I don't I go mental I do find I do find personally um and I think you're probably the same by the sounds of it it's very hard to create in the vacuum so if you like if you just get up in the morning and I find if you get up in the morning and you go out and you meet someone for coffee it starts the cogs turning and then you can go back and have a crack at yeah. Trying to have a something somewhat humorous thought. But it's very hard to get up in the morning, yeah. make your pen and just start writing. Start writing. Unless yeah. unless you're in a story and you kind of know what you need to write about. But in terms of ideas, yeah, yeah I totally agree. Like I would find I'd sit there for two hours and nothing would come. But you'd go for a run and come back and suddenly your mind's awake and you've got loads of things to write down. It's wild what momentum will do for your thoughts. Yeah. I, 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 I get a lot of writing done on trains. Oh, trains and planes are the yeah. best places to ride. I love riding on trains. It's like the momentum of it. It's, it's It kind of pushes your thoughts forward yeah. or something. Yeah, totally. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I need to get an office, a mobile office on a train and just go around the outside of London uh, all day and then come back into I Houston was, Station and go <laughs> pick up the kids from school. <laughs> I was only saying today because I, I just yeah. back from Australia and um, so I'm a bit jet lagged so I, I've been up at 3am every morning and I've never felt so productive I'm like I, was like, I just need to go I just need to fly long haul every Sunday so yeah. I'm <laughs> up yeah. at 3am every week well I mean working I, yeah. I mean yeah but kind thinking, of thinking yeah, yeah you're getting work. stuff going yeah you yeah. are you're sending emails and all that jazz What is your favourite thing about your new career? Would you call it a new career? We would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Your new career. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, I just, uh, writing, I suppose. I, I really? just I just can't get enough of it. When you're in the zone with writing, right, it is the best. I lose myself. I don't know where I am. I Like, you literally, you go somewhere else. It's the flow state. It's probably what you get when you're in mid-gig and it's going well. Like, yeah. You're just in this flow state and it feels, and you come back to earth and you're like, Oh, like that's that is a feeling that I haven't ever really experienced. Yeah. Sometimes you get it DJing, but um, yeah, with writing, that that's the bit that I'm always looking for. And I would say twenty percent of it is that, and then eighty percent of it is the rest, the editing, the fixing, the, the tweaking. But that bit is like, what does it feel like to hand over? the book and be like it's finished oh. that's it now no no more edits that's it that's the book um, terrifying because I will always find like the, the level of mistakes in a book like you got the proof to read the level of mistakes in that I, I nearly I had to just sing- take to my bed for a week I didn't notice a single mistake in that there book there were so many mistakes but there you go so I noticed them you don't no thank god if you think about what you got there was probably five different versions after that before the book then got made into a hardback like really yes the answer is you don't ever feel like it's ready you don't ever feel like it's finished you don't ever feel like it's perfect like I would uh, what I like to do now is I have it round and I would just pick it up and randomly open a page and just be like what does that read like and then you'd find a sentence you're like oh God, I can't believe that is in there. It's like an out-of-body oh. experience. It's, you know, it's like listening to your own voice notes or something. You're like, Hoo! Yeah, it's <laughs> horrific. But you know the other thing about writing books, and I thought it would be different the second time, I thought that 
the second time you would I would actually have a hold of what, what the book is like to read. Like I would know what it's like for you to read the book. Yeah. But I don't. I still don't know whether I still don't I'm too close to it like I okay. can't see the wood for the trees I don't know what it's like from a removed place yeah. um, and I hope that one day I will be able to pick it up like not read it for years and then come back and read it and be like oh yeah okay I wonder will you ever be able to though without judging yourself or like thinking yeah. oh I should have done this or I should have done that because it's I know I think you just have to let it go you have to let it go yeah which is hard in books because you then talk about them for a year and a half after they come out because you have the paperback and there's a lot of talks a lot yeah. of talking you yeah. just have to kind of offer it up you're like this is what it is yeah well you should be so proud because it's absolutely brilliant oh thanks Joanne thank you I was so chuffed when you liked it I loved it but also it. you needed to love it because you were someone from Dublin who moved to like if you didn't get it and love it then I would have been in trouble you know? I think there was something really nice about, I did feel familiar to me now we had very different experiences you had a way more London experience than me I yeah. I would have loved to have done what you did. I would right. have loved to have moved out of home early, yeah. come over to the UK early. I have UCAS forms in my house from when I was I was determined I wanted to do communications and yeah. I had kind of ideas about writing and radio and all that yeah. jazz. Yeah. And you did it. Yeah. I think it just shows how you're a very rounded, successful person and now you've managed to have a second th- second career in your 40s. Second career. What's maybe. next? What's your third career going to be? Okay, God, I don't know. I don't know, but I love the idea that there could be one. Like, that's so exciting to me. Pottery. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) Pottery, skydiving. (laughs) Like, who knows? Maybe I'll move to a farm and start breeding pigs. I don't know, but definitely not that. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just love the idea that anything's possible, you know, within reason and um, within circumstance. But I do love the idea that, you know, you don't have to stay the same. Did you write much as a child? So... I I wrote, I have journals from when I was 10. Oh, it's wow, mental. Okay. I have a diary from when I was 10 years old. It's so dull. It's all about my pet rabbit and <laughs> piano practice. It's really dull. But um, I'm so grateful for them because my memory is effed. Like my memory is gone. Yeah, it's decimated same. from years. And is it? Are you oh, saying? I'm brutal. Years of no sleep. And um, I, I find it quite distressing now because I've reached this point in my life where I'm really trying to look back. Like, I think that happens to everyone. You, you reach kind of 40 odd and you're like, OK, what just happened? Where am I? Like, yeah. what, what kind of a person am I? And you kind of want to be reassured and kind of bolstered by your memories of who you were and let them help you kind of figure out who you are now. And um, a lot of them are just gone. So I'm really dependent on my family for a lot of what I was like as a kid. But the journals are amazing because they, they give me insight into what I was thinking. What were you and doing the boys, I was snogging oh, yeah. and periods and all of that stuff. And the very bad doodles was a lot of them. But basically I have one from when I was 14 and um, I was I went through a bit of a born again Christian stage when I was 14. I was really Did into you? God. Yeah, and talking to God, read the Bible from cover to cover. All of that. Okay. It was more like 13, 14 and then I kind of came out of it. Are your family religious? Not really, no. Okay. Not just at all. a phase. Yeah, like my brothers yeah. and sister were just kind of like humouring. They were just like, <laughs> what is she on? Yeah. And I'd be sitting at the oh, table being God like, now. God forgive them for this. You know, like, and they'd be like, oh, she's at it again. That's really funny. It, it's actually hilarious, yeah. isn't it? Looking back. But um, uh, so it was around then and um, the diary was a lot of that going to Christian camps and stuff and friends and fallouts but there, I found this page about being a writer and like me saying like all I want to do is write books Like, and then oh. you see this kind of synopsis of a novel I mean it looks awful but it's me like writing what the novel will be and What like, was it? Um, it, was, it was about a girl living with her dad in the country and her mum had died and the, she lived with her dad in a pub and 
Um, that's as far as it got. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was still pretty like, worked out for a ten year old. Some some yeah, some characters, some character descriptions. But it was just like, oh my god! I always wanted to write. Like I'd forgotten that that was something I'd wanted to do. Yeah. And, and then later in the diary, it comes up again and again. I just want to write books. I want to write books. And it was like, it just it was such a relief. Like I just saw it the other day, and it was like, thank God! Like I've, I I'm doing what I've always wanted to do, but yeah. I just forgot. But I just took a massive detour to get there. <laughs> what an amazing thing to be able to say because I I think so many kids are creative and so many kids they want to act or they want to write and they just don't get the opportunity to do it because you get stuck you get stuck you get weighed down by life or you don't have the means like I'm so lucky when I went to England right first of all my mum took me to Queens and and like I worked through there in bloody everywhere sandwich shops and everywhere but she helped pay for my digs yeah, and then when I went to England, my dad lent me the money to do that course, and I had to pay him back. But he did lend me the money, and things like that—that that, that's the difference between me being able to go to England Big and time. not. I owe them so much. Yeah, and also I—I'm I, thinking now more than ever about like I was their youngest kid. They had four kids, and everyone left. What must it have been like for them to kind of bring like my mum brought me up to Queens, my dad brought me to England with like it must have been. I mean, maybe they were delighted. I was going to say, <laughs> this, it's like they're, they're trying to get rid of you. Whew, thank God, I'm going off to the, the Queen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rosie, we're meeting for a pint. You're like, I'm 11 years of age. You're off to university, Annie. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I'm I'm like naturally sentimental. So No, but if you have support... If it you're, must be mad for them anyway. If you have supportive parents, there's like, you know, yeah. you it does give you a lot of freedom. It really if does. If they believe in you. Yeah, and, they, yeah. and, and I, I, like you can't just sit here and say like, it's so much of it is that, you know, so... I I owe them a lot. I wonder what your kids are going to be. What age are they now? Oh God, they're nine and six and they're completely different and I just don't know. I just don't know what they're going to be. I'm like, but the nice thing is knowing that they, they can be, you know, whatever, whatever they, want. they want. You know, obviously we'll probably want them to like get a job in the arts and they'll probably be accountants. Yeah. You know, and that'll they'll rebel. that would be grand. They'll Go be into little, marketing. Little saffies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably do that. I was listening to you say somewhere that you felt like you were doing so much. You felt you weren't doing anything well. That was a huge, huge part of learning how to do less. Yeah. A huge part of it. Like, it, I I mean, the idea of success and what success is, like, I suppose the, the thing that changed the most in terms of in my head was this idea of me thinking success was numbers and figures and ticket sales and blah, 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 when actually success is fulfillment and, and a sense of peace and a sense of um, feeling fulfilled, but but like also having enough in your life to feel like really stimulated and interested and alive, mm. but not be overloaded. Like that, to, being, to me, being successful is balance and doing things well. Yeah. And I didn't have that. I took on too much because I was afraid to say no and... I, even though you can get lots of people around you to help, I had a big team, a big kind of ecosystem of people around me, agents and producers and assistants. Blah, blah, blah. But it, it's it's still on you at the end of the day when you do that kind of a career. Um, the festivals in your name, the radio shows in your name, it's all it's all you. So you feel the pressure of mm. doing stuff to the ability that you are being paid to and ex- expected to do. And I suppose I just felt like at the points when I was busy that I wasn't doing things well enough. Yeah. I was just going in and I was getting stuff done, but not excelling and not not doing things in, in the best way. Like with radio, you could dedicate your entire life to going to gigs and trawling the music blogs. 
I didn't have time for that. Mm. I just didn't have time. So I felt like I wasn't doing that bit properly. Um, you felt you, overstretched. DJ, so like, same thing. You're just overstretched. Yeah. yeah. And there's always other people who are doing that, who make you feel like unworthy, you know, because you're not. And it's just, oh, I don't know. It's, I know. It's a horrible feeling. It is a horrible feeling. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, I've kind of overpromised here. Yeah. 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 But, <laughs> but now I have to do it. I have to do I have to do whatever. Yeah, I have to do it all to a certain standard you anyway. Will, you will be capable. But yeah. The, and, and, and no one else will suffer, but you will suffer because you'll have that stress and that burden of getting it right and the pressure of it. And, and I, I suppose when that's continuous, there's, it's not sustainable. Like for me, it just wasn't sustainable because it felt like it was like that all the time. Yeah. And you weren't enjoying it anymore. No. I, I think as well, there's like this fetishization of working all the time. Loads. Yeah. It's like this badge of honour that you're like working 24-7, seven days a week. And I'm like, but where's your, where's your headspace to be bored and let your mind wander and then create something Good, which is obviously what had to happen for you to write. No, listen, listen. The it's, it's the most powerful thing you can do. The most, also the most productive thing you can do for yourself is to buy yourself time and space. Yeah, that is like resting is productive. That is totally. constructive and productive. What isn't is taking everything on and never switching off. Yeah, and now with WhatsApp. We're fucked. I know. All work is done on WhatsApp. It is constant. You can never escape work. You yeah. Can, social media, you can't escape work. There's always other people, like, you can always associate it with work, especially when you work in the arts or the media. It's just, um, it's impossible to switch off. You have to really work at that to, to switch off and give yourself time and space. And it will be so useful. I think it was for me anyway. They're saying now that it's people that's like even all the Netflix and all that jazz. It's like they steal your attention. So you're never it's I find it myself. It's like when was the last time I was sat in my own head for two hours? I'm always listening to something or scrolling and you need to be in your own thoughts to be bored, to have an an idea for something or be able to jot something down. Yeah, I have this thing that I do. It's one of my favourite things to do in London and I do it for me. I get on my bike and I cycle to Hampstead Heath, which is really oh, rough lovely. cycle because it's really hilly. And then I go and jump in the ponds there in the lakes, right? There's public swimming lakes. And um, and then I cycle home and I try not to listen to anything and I just do it. And it's just, it's like medicine. Yeah. It's insane because you're just, you're just in your head and you just, you're in nature. I mean, it's such a cliche, but it, it, like... Making myself do stuff like that, and I do have to make myself. Yeah, is definitely something I've learned is the best thing I can do for that's, me. That's actually why I was asking about your process of writing because I feel because I am a product of my generation, as are you, yeah. that my attention span is just yeah. so short now. Yeah, that I, I don't know if I could write a book for a fish. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm so I'm so intrigued and yeah. impressed that people can just sit down and just write. Yeah, but this is the the way you have books. to the way you have to look at it. It's like um, it's like Emma Gannon in this book, The Success Myth. With I am success. Oh, myth. I really it's like her. Obsessed. You need to read this book. She's on the podcast. She talks about um something milestone goals and something else goals. But it's basically like let's say you wanted to write a book, right, or you wanted to run a marathon. You don't sit and go, I'm going to write a book and start. You literally go every morning. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have my coffee, and after my coffee, I'm going to write a page. Yeah, and then I'll do whatever. So it's like you set yourself realistic daily goals that are achievable. Every time I'm on a flight, 
I'm going to not watch a movie and instead I'm going to just write for half an hour. And do you at the start, this is, this, I, I like this, is just the stuff that I'm really interested yes, in. Yes, yes, of course. Did you know how the story was going to end? Did you have all your characters before you started? Was no. it a case that you had this? No. I did it all the way wrong, the wrong way round. Or I don't know, maybe it's the right way round. I did it all the wrong way round. I, with Mother Mother, I was desperate. I'd started this writing course. I had no plan for what I wanted to write or why. I just started writing a book. I literally was like, a scene. Here's a scene. Here's a girl, a, li- a little boy off his head in, in the quad of Queen's University. The police come. That was the scene. And then from there, the book, like a spider web, came out and out and out and out and out and out and out. Wow. Some characters became more prominent. Some died away. And it, that was the book. So at the end of it, you have this big kind of lump of words, right? And it doesn't really make much sense in terms of structure. So it was kind of all over the gaff. Mm-hmm. Then I had to spend an entire year with a chisel chipping away, trying to get some shape out of these words, taking stuff in, building stuff up, adding bits in. And that was that was the book. So it was two processes. It was kind of like blind writing, the flow state, right, 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 whatever comes into your head. And then a very painful year of, of tweaking. And for this new book, because I did that twice, with the mess we're in, I did it a little bit more organised and that I knew what themes I wanted to write about. I knew what... I decided... Everyone, when they ask you about book writing, is like, why did you want to write this book? And with mm. Mother Mother, I genuinely was like, I don't know, I just started writing. <laughs> yeah. So with the mess we're in, I was like, I'm going to think of themes that matter to me. What matters to me? Being Irish in England, being a young girl starting out in the music industry, misogyny, living in a big city, being part of the diaspora, all of that... I'm going to write about that somehow. I don't know how, but I'm just going to write. Sorry, Annie, sorry to interrupt you now. What's the diaspora? You've brought it up twice. So the diaspora, like if you are part of a diaspora, it's the group of people, it's a group of people who have left a country and live elsewhere. So the Irish diaspora is huge, sprawling, millions (gasps) upon millions upon millions of people because obviously Ireland took over the world. But yeah, that's that's the diaspora. Jeez, I need to get one of them. We are, we are the diaspora, Joanne. Thank you so much. Yes, we are. (laughs) Yeah, and Vogue is, and all first, your Irish friends abroad are. My first diaspora. The final question. Yeah. What's the change you'd still like to make? You're doing great, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> this will be, be edited down. It'll just be Annie speaking to herself. <laughs> And I'll be completely cut out. And I'll be, fa- I'll be so, I'll be like, thank God they cut me out. I completely fucked that. It's, re- it's actually really difficult. You make it look so easy. You're really good at interviewing people. If you do anything for long enough, you become okay at it. My only thing was like, Joanne, don't say, that's exactly like me to everything she says. Because there's actually nothing worse than someone making every single thing the other person says about themselves. So I think I've only done that 50% of the time. Um, okay, I, um, I just, since writing this book, right, what I've realised with the mess we're in, so it started with trying to like write this, the formative years of living with my brother's band and trying to fictionalise that into something really exciting. And then through the course of the writing, I started writing about her job in this Irish pub. And it it became more and more about these different generations of Irish people who were living in London. And I realised I was trying to explore my own kind of sense of, identity I suppose of being here for so long I've crossed the threshold of living in London much longer than I've lived in Ireland yeah. and I go back all the time I drag my kids back every summer where on the you, ferry where, where, where are you from? Dundrum South Dublin Are you? Near the Dundrum Shopping Centre Yeah Oh no 
still in the same house. We're not that far. We're not far away. So yeah. I was well, Kalini, Glenageary kind of thing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. My brother lives in Glenageary. We go there all the time when we're home. But there you go. I call it home. Right. And yeah. I think it'll always be home. And it's lucky for me to be able to say that because my parents still live in the house that I was born in. Like we're still in the same estate. Yeah. It's still exactly the same. So I've never had anything to make it seem otherwise. Um, but when you have kids and they grow up, then they have a new sense of home, which is the home that you live in. So it's uh, at the moment I'm kind of grappling with the fact that my kids are English. They have English accents, Joanne, and they support English football teams. And yeah. And they very much know that I'm Irish because they're told all the time and they're dragged home on the holidays. But I suppose I've reached a point in my life where with all this new space, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of, I want to nest more. Like I want to, I want to click into my community. I've always been too busy to do shit locally. I've been too busy to really get with the school moms, all of that stuff. I've just been working, working. So I'm like, I want to like commit to somewhere where I live and really get stuck in. Yeah. And I'm just like, thinking do I move back to Ireland do I stay in London so at the moment I feel a bit like in flux like in my head of where I should be and I really want to just make my peace with one of the other mm. and 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 just settle in you know and become really comfortable in London and, and know that this is it and my kids will go to secondary school here and find a way to keep going back to Ireland all the time or to go back to Ireland and try it, yeah. even for a year. I think when you I'm live, scared to say it out loud because it feels like such a thing to say that out loud. I think that when you when you move away, and I feel this, and I'm not here a fraction of the length of time that you are, but I feel you you kind of become a bit of a cultural nomad almost. You're, That's you're, it. You're in limbo, really. That's it. Home does feel like home, but then it doesn't feel like home. And like Sometimes I don't feel Irish enough to be at home. You know, I feel like I've lost it. It's dissolved in me. And the friendship groups aren't what they were and people yeah. have kind of moved away. And it's, yeah, it's a funny one. I, but I really think that, I just think that's the reality of it. So, so you're a foreigner in Ireland, weirdly, but you're also a foreigner in London. But it's kind of which place are you more comfortable being a foreigner in? And London is so full of foreigners. Like it's kind of obviously you're not really a foreigner because you're Irish, but yeah. you feel like one because you've not lived there in so long. That's it. And then the 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 change of lifestyle from going from London back to Dublin, like that's a big shift in lifestyle. Huge. Yeah, it huge is. Huge shift. And you take a lot for granted in London. You do. So yeah, so I think I would just like some sort of kind of sense of peace of where I'm going to be just to feel a bit more kind of enmeshed in my community which is a bit abstract and weird, but I would like that in terms of my life. Yeah. And um, I, I can't even start on changes of the world. I was going to say, it's interesting that you are obviously such a huge fan of change, but what you want in your future is consistency. I want consistency in terms of where I'm at at home, I think. Yeah, yeah, I've like had, so physically, where physically, you're living. Yeah. yeah. But I still want to travel. Like I yeah. love traveling. But I think I just need to make up my mind in my head. I think when you're an Irish person in London, for me anyway, I've always had this caveat that I can just go home. Mm. So I've never felt the need to really fully assimilate into into the culture here in terms of my home life and my local the local community. And I'm I don't know what's happened to me. I'm kind of in my forties now and I'm really into the idea of community. I want to join a fucking local choir. I want to start yeah. doing like charity work locally. I haven't got as far as the PTA yet. That's a whole other world. But <laughs> but but like, you know, I just want to get involved more. Yeah. And it's like, I just want to know that where we are, we're, we're there for a while, you know, for for the next 10 years for when my kids are going to yeah. secondary school and stuff. I think I, it feels to me like we turn 40, I mean, roughly in and around that and we just turn into homing pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> Something just happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah where yeah. you're just like, 
there's a nesting. I feel it as well. There's but I this... think I think you uh, and maybe me are exceptional in that way. In that we've done a lot of traveling in our life. I have done a lot in a, a very short space, short space, space of, time. of time. So yeah. that's I feel like I'm living. The last two years have been like dog years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? Like it's hard to believe that I started doing this like yeah. eight. eight because you've been through so much in such a short space just of time. a short space only since lockdown lifted really to be yeah. honest so wow. yeah I probably sound more jaded than I should like because I am it is all very exciting and, I, and yeah. like it is great to be doing a job that you love but um yeah, I'm already thinking where exactly like you. Where am I going to settle? Where now? am I going to be? Where am I going to be? Yeah, yeah. And then you could have a revolution and move somewhere else. But for the next, I don't know. For me, for the next ten years, I would like to be somewhere and really get stuck into that place. You know? I have a fantasy about like making my own jams in a farm somewhere. That's what like Kate a- Moss does now. She makes her own jam in the Cotswolds. Is she can afford to with the fucking Cosmo skin, Caroline. <laughs> fucking candlesticks, Grant. Is she a friend of yours? <laughs> Kate's made some good decisions. <laughs> She's made some break. We decisions. should get her on the podcast. <laughs> you should get her. She'd do a better job of interviewing you. <laughs> you've done great. Hey, oh. listen, thank you so much. You've done amazing. Do you want, I finished thank my you notes. so much. You are a star. I really appreciate you because it's so much work and pressure to have to do that. And you did an amazing job. I hope I, I hope I did an okay job. If I just if this gets me trialed. <laughs> so listen, it won't. You did brilliant. I also have to say that Joanne has been on changes where I have interviewed her. So if you want to listen to that, please go and do that. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Oh, uh, one last question. Yeah. Why Annie McManus? Mm. You've gone full because full Annie title. Mac, Annie Mac was a, was a name given to me by my old radio boss. Okay. Because it was snappy on the tongue, and I just and I just and I was just like, <laughs> it is actually snap, it is I snappy on the I, tongue. The person writing Mother Mother did not feel like that was truly me. There was yeah. no kind of performative aspect, or you know, I was. I, it just felt disingenuous to not do my real name. Yeah. It just didn't feel right. So, and it felt like a nice point of difference. It was like me reclaiming. Yeah. The fourteen-year-old me writing in my journal. Yeah, no, you're like this is the, this is my authentic self yeah. now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um. So there you go. Okay. Now the book is the mess we're in. It's out now. If you want to read it, <laughs> I can't believe I'm plugging my own book. It's very hot. It's very. I think it's also worth adding. Yeah. Just because I know you're not going to plug your book. Yeah. As well, because you're Irish and it fills you with shame. It fills me with shame. I can see you trying to swallow it in your yeah. own vomit when yeah. you're trying Ooh. to. I think it's important to note that Graham Norton. Absolutely loved it. Oh my God, what? you should be on his chat show. <laughs> Has he asked you? No. Fucking get into his DMs. I so, so enjoyed it, he said. A heady mix of thrills and heartbreak. I'm excited for you. Thanks, Joanne. Yeah. Thanks so much for I everything. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, please rate, please review, subscribe to Changes as well and share the podcast with everyone you know if you fancy it. We're releasing episodes every Monday. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. See you next week. And don't worry, I won't be back. <laughs> In case anyone's worried that I'll be here next week, I won't. You're Grant. <laughs> Chill. <laughs> 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.